Hey everybody, this is So Heidi and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts. And this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 13 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Abby Ellis, co-founder of Stitch Method, a Chicago fashion agency that helps you define your market, develop your product, and deliver it to your customers. In the interview, Abby walks through a step-by-step overview of the production process, how to work backwards from costing and budgeting to design, and why a tech pack is essential for every product, no matter how simple it is or where you're getting it made. The tech pack is such a crucial piece. It, It acts almost as like a visual contract for what it is you're asking the factory to create and at what price and with what materials and what colors, etc. Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you, you can help the show out and make it easy for others to discover by leaving a rating on iTunes. If you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take 60 seconds to do that. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 13. Now, on to the interview with Abby. Well, thank you so much for being on the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Abby. Um, I'd love to start with you just introducing yourself and telling everybody a little bit about what you do with your business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Abby Ellis, and I am the co-founder of Stitch Method. And Stitch Method is a Chicago-based product development and design company. We focus on the fashion entrepreneur. So our clients come to us with an idea, and we help them bring that idea to life through prototyping, sourcing materials, and partnering them with the right cut-and-sew factory. Um, our specialties are in women's wear, children's wear, and active wear. And we've been in business now for about three years, and we've helped launch dozens of brands. And it's really, it's an exciting thing that we do here. That's so awesome. Um, so I would love to kind of just have you walk us through, like, what does the journey look like? So pretend like I'm, I'm an entrepreneurial startup designer, and I've got this idea, and maybe... Um, you know, maybe I just have some sketches on paper or maybe I have some tears for magazines and I come to you guys and like, can you just kind of walk us through what some of those steps look like? Or, or I don't know. That's what I just said is I have some, some sketches on paper. Like, where is it that most people kind of come to you? Like, what's your typical, um, what do you typically see? And then how does that whole process work? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes our clients do have sketches on paper. Sometimes it's sketches on napkins. Sometimes (laughs) it's just an idea that might live on a Pinterest board or it may live, you know, just in their brain. Um, So really the first step that we do is help them get that idea out of their heads and into a format that's understandable for their supply chain. So really kind of creating that technical flat sketch and working back and forth with our clients to refine this idea, because not a lot of our clients come to us from 
the fashion industry. A lot of our clients are coming from other industries. Mm -hmm. We worked with a brand who the owner also owned a dance studio locally here in Chicago, and she launched a dance line naturally. So she had the expertise in dance, but not in this industry. Mm -hmm. So we really help um, the first step really bringing that idea kind of out of our clients' heads and into a understandable sketch. Um, But we also really start with the numbers. Because as an entrepreneur and going into this industry, it's really important to understand the cost. So every new client that comes in our door, we focus on setting up a pre-costing estimate for them. So how much is this going to take to um, launch your business in terms of like a big picture budget? But also how much are you going to look at paying out for your cost of goods? And what are your retail and wholesale price points going to land at? Mm. And we really start there so that our clients can understand if there is a viable target market for this, if they can produce their clothing line in America, which most of them do want to do, and what their total launch budget looks like. So it's kind of twofold. We help them you know, bring that concept that's in their head to an understandable format through sketching and also simultaneously work through this pre-costing and budgeting estimate. And so, I I mean, I feel like, um, you know, that's something, that's a question I get all the time is like, how much money do I really need to do this? And so if you're comfortable, I'd love to kind of hear about some of the ranges. And I know it can really vary depending on what the product is, how detailed it is, what type of fabrics you're using. But like, what are some rough numbers? Like if I really want to try to do this on a tight budget, like what am I looking at? And, and what are those ranges? Yeah, it can be a huge range. That's kind of a loaded question. (laughs) Just in terms of like what product you're launching something obviously as complex as like a wet a line of wedding gowns is going to be a lot more costly out of pocket than a line of t-shirts. Just based on you know, the construction complexity there and the amount of material you need to purchase. Um, But just as a, a rough estimate, I would say, you know, if you want to launch a line, go through a proof of concept. If you have one style, let's say, mm-hmm. of medium complexity, okay. I, you know, depending on where you want to go through in the process. And also the other thing that factors in here is how many units you want to manufacture. Yep. Obviously, if you're looking to make 10,000, that's going to cost a lot more than if you're going to make 100 pieces, for sure. example. But I would say, you know, somewhere in like the ten to $20,000 range, just okay. as a really rough estimate, yeah. um, to get started, to go through the product development, to purchase materials, maybe do a small proof of concept run, Mm -hmm. not a a huge inventory purchase, but just, you know, to have some pieces that you can get into the hands of your future customers and get some feedback on. Yeah. And so, um, I, would love to hear your thoughts and it's, um, I mean, I, I definitely have my, my thoughts on this, but like, where do you suggest people typically start with a, uh, first initial order. Cause I, I know some designers are like, Oh, I'm ready to make 2000 units of this. And, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a fine line between having too much and having enough. And so where are some of the numbers in terms of production that you've seen people kind of find a comfortable spot? Yeah, that's actually a really great question. Um, a lot of our clients tend to start small, Mm -hmm. which we think is a smart strategy just in terms of like you said, it's a fine line of, of your purchasing your inventory, because if you're purchased too much and you're sitting on your inventory, you're basically just sitting on your cash. Yeah. And that's what we don't want. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in the beginning when you're first starting out, you might not know 
how many units you can sell a month or how many units you'll be able to sell, you know, a season or a year. So starting smaller and even selling out is sometimes better than having too much inventory that you then don't know what to do with. Right. So I would say in terms of like numbers, um, the good thing is being located here in Chicago, we work with a lot of um, local cut and sew manufacturers that have very low minimum order requirements. Oh, great. Which is excellent for just starting out. And our minimum order requirements here, they range from like 10 pieces oh, to wow. you know, 100 pieces yeah. per style. Some of the factories like, you know, 250, 500 piece orders. But you can really kind of do what's right for your brand mm-hmm. and what you think you can sell. Because we're working with really, it's a hypothesis at this point. Like how many units do I think I can sell? What am I comfortable buying into? It is a total hypothesis. And so I'm curious to know, like, um, are any of your customers doing or seeing success with like pre-sales or, you know, how are you really gauging? Like how much do I think you can sell? I don't know. Am I just like pulling a number out of the air? Sometimes trusting your gut (laughs) (laughs) is a big part of this, but other times our clients are, you know, looking to crowdfunding campaigns like Mm -hmm. Kickstarter or Indiegogo to kind of get that, um, you know, feelers out there in terms of their target market and what they think they can do with pre-orders. We also worked with a client recently who um, took an interesting approach to pre-orders. We did her uh, technical flat sketches for her and helped her work with an illustrator to really, you know, bring those flat sketches to life and, you know, have beautiful watercolor drawings on Krogis. And she put those on her website and started a voting process. Oh, cool. So it was an interesting take that we hadn't worked with a client on before, but she just said, you know, I'm going to throw these sketches up on my website and push it out to my market and see which ones are the most popular. And then I'm going to move into product development with those. So before she even started sampling or pattern making with us, she had this whole voting process. So, you know, there's really no like run one right way to do this. Yeah. Um, But I thought that was a really unique, you know, unique approach. Um, But I would say most of the time our clients are, more often than not moving forward with the development and the production and doing cutting a small run, like 25, 50 pieces per style and use that as their proof of concept. If I can sell through this, then I know that I have a good product and then I can produce more in different fabrics, colors, styles, et cetera. Okay, cool. I like that voting thing. That's a really fun way to like really engage with your audience and get their feedback and kind of listen to what they want. Yeah. And it's kind of a low cost of entry as well yeah. because you're not purchasing samples or, um, you know, developing patterns yet. It was really just like these beautiful illustrations of the garments and just kind of throwing it up and seeing what stuck with her market and what yeah. they like. Has she moved forward or is it the voting stage kind of still finishing up? No, she moved forward. We went through voting and then she went through um, pattern and sampling and she took some pre-orders once she had actual photography yeah. of the styles. Because that was our only kind of hiccup in terms of the process was yeah. that sometimes consumers don't understand what a sketch will look like yeah. as a garment. So she took pre-orders once she had actual photography of her samples yeah. um, and then just moved into production. Her production is still being complete. It's not um, finished yet, but yeah. the whole process seemed to work out really well for her. Oh, that's great. What a fun idea. Um yeah. Okay, so so I've figured out my rough budget and looking at maybe doing like a small production run and we have a, a flat sketch that really kind of interprets the idea in a way that 
that um, industry professionals can understand. It's readable. And so then what are the next steps? Where do we go to next? Perfect. Yes. So once all of that is worked through, then we start the actual product development process. So this is when we're getting into pattern making and prototyping and rounds of fittings. And this is really, Heidi, like where the hard work comes in. Yes. And where our clients get a like a crash course education. Um, I don't know if our clients ever expected to think about so many details of a garment <laughs> until we get into this process. Yes. So typically what we'll do is we'll take that flat sketch, we'll take any, you know, reference sample garments they have for construction or fit, and we'll start to work on the first prototype. Um, we do fit most often on live fit models. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that that's really important in terms of making sure that you're fitting your garment on a fit model that falls within your target audience. Mm-hmm. So age, build, you know, everything there can be really important to make sure that you're just having capturing that right fit for the customer um, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I would say with the exception of children's wear, because kids tend to grow super quick. So <laughs> fitting on a live model with children's wear can be very challenging. So when we work on children's wear clients, we typically fit on a dress form mm, interesting. to make sure we keep that consistent uh, yeah. standard. Yeah, because fitting a, a, a kid's fit model from one month to the next, their body size is going to be different. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, you've made those pattern updates based on what they were like (laughs) in June. And then in July, they went through a growth spurt and now everything's too short. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I've not done kids wear, so I never would have thought of that. That's such an interesting point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Yeah. So I would say, you know, generally fitting on a dress form with children's wear is a smart approach. And then the live model that's within your target market, mm-hmm. age range, build, et cetera, um, for all the other lines is really important as well. Okay. Uh, but that first fitting is, I mean, it's, it's not cute, Heidi. It is a <laughs> working garment. Um, the finishes aren't always, you know, complete. Sometimes we leave a hem raw mm-hmm. so that we can, you know, be working on where we want that to fall once we see it on the body. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you know, a long meeting. It's probably our longest fitting throughout the whole process where we go through all of the nitty gritty details. And it's also that first time you're seeing this as like a 3D garment. Yeah. You know, we've got flat sketching and the idea and the you know, concepting, but this is the first time that it really comes to life and you get to see how it looks on a body and how it feels. And you can, if you are fitting on a live model, get that feedback in terms of like, you know, when they sit down, is it still comfortable? Like how was it getting on and off, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you can make those adjustments per their recommendations as well. Okay. So you said that this is the longest meeting, um, in terms of, you know, the, it might, you might spend a day doing that or, or I don't know how much time. Um, but kind of stepping back, looking at, like, I want to kind of analyze the timeline overall too, because I think that that's something that is often underestimated. Um, not just with independent startup designers, but I find it with my larger clients who, who manufacture product overseas and, it just never goes as fast as you think it's going to go. So rewinding a little bit, um, like talk about the timeline, maybe from, uh, and I know there's variables because it can depend on how quickly the designer's ready to to Mm -hmm. move, but like rough timelines. Okay. From, from rough concept to getting all the sketches together to getting the first round of protos and the first fit samples dialed in, like where, what are we looking at here? Yeah, that's a great question. And one thing to just note is that 
really nothing in product development is ever super speedy, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it always is going to take a little bit longer than you think it is. Yeah. And with our clients specifically, and with entrepreneurs launching a brand for the first time, it's really a good thing because you want to take the time to make sure that you're going through these steps yes. to perfect your fit, to test your fabrics, to make sure what you're putting out there to the world will make a good brand first impression. So I'm going to go walk through this timeline and it's probably going to be longer than what some people may expect, but I want to just, you know, know that that's a good thing. Well, I love uh, that you say that because I think so many people get so excited to launch the product that it's really tempting to try to rush. But I, I think it's so important to emphasize that, you know what, it's better to really slow ourselves down to make sure we do it right because the launch will be that much more successful if we do that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the biggest things that we say here is if it doesn't fit, it doesn't sell. Yeah. So like rushing through that fit process and rushing into production with a garment that you're not so sure of the specs or the fit on is it's probably worst case scenario. Yes. So in terms of the um, timeline of what we just outlined, I would say going through the initial like ideation and concepting, and also I'm going to lump in there sourcing your materials Mm -hmm. because we're going to be looking to wholesale fabric vendors that we can order sample yardage from to go through the prototyping process. So then when you are ready to move into production, you have your vendors lined up already. You can just give them a call and order your production yardage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We prefer to work that way rather than working in uh, retail fabric or muslin, we want to go ahead and have these vendors lined up so that we can have some efficiencies when we are ready to pull the trigger in production. Mm-hmm. So I'd say going through all of that, you're probably looking at roughly three months yep. to, you know, fine tune your concept, get these technical flats approved, go back and forth on revisions on those, source the materials, order your sample yardage and have this, you know, nice package ready to just move into pattern making and even drop off with a local pattern maker. If you're working, you know, with an individual and in wherever you live as well. Yeah. I'd say about three months for that first step. Okay. To get to a first proto. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and for any listeners out there that, that haven't heard the term proto before, it's short for prototype and it's your first, um, sort of proof of concept of, of your garment. Um, Okay, so we have our proto and we have our materials sourced and and we're ready to go into final pattern making, which would include a full set of graded, um, a, a full graded pattern, correct? Correct. But before we grade the pattern, we actually plan with our clients to do two additional fittings. Okay. So we go through two more fit samples. So we have our first proto. We'll make revisions to the pattern, sew a second sample, do another fitting on the live model. Generally, at that point, we're pretty close. So it's not so much of like this working meeting, working through these details, really, you know, seeing that garment for the first time. The second fitting is more of like fine tuning. So making sure that the pattern changes you wanted to make from the first proto are represented in the second fitting, Mm -hmm. that things that you changed or wanted to change work, and you're kind of fine tuning these details. And then we do, you know, one more round of fitting, or we plan for one more round of fitting, where we can do even more fine tuning from that second fitting. And so the third fitting, when we see that third fit sample, in a perfect world, our fit model puts it on and it's approved. Okay. But we do plan to do three fittings. Um, With the dancewear line that I mentioned, sometimes fitting can be a little bit trickier. So that was leotards, and there's girth involved, and four-way stretch fabrics. And generally, the closer to the body 
the garment fits, the trickier it is to fit. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you don't always get it done in three. <laughs> exactly. So that one we needed additional fittings, but I would say in general, just to plan for three fittings, okay. especially first fitting, you know, for developing the fit for a brand new company, a brand new brand. This is where I mentioned you really want to take that time to make sure that it fits because if it doesn't fit, it doesn't sell. Yeah. So we plan for three fittings. And then once we have that approved fit sample and pattern that coordinates with it, then yes, you're correct. We move into grading. Okay. So then you can scale up and down to all of the sizes you want to offer in your production run. Yeah. And so, um, just kind of touching on something you said there was, you know, the first time you're doing this, you have to take everything really slow. You're finding all your, your, um, your suppliers for the first time you're developing your fit for the first time. And then thinking down the road, a lot of this stuff can be recycled on some level. Like some of your garments might start to have similar block forms that you can work from. Absolutely. You don't have to develop everything from scratch. And so the first go around is definitely going to be the longest. And then each time after that's going to hopefully become a little bit easier and move a little bit more smoothly. So just, you know, to not terrify everybody out there, right. um, <laughs> it does get a little bit simpler and easier and quicker as you, as you move forward. Absolutely. And we plan to work with our clients from concept through having like a completed production run, mm -hmm. I would say a year, just to give you a, a, heads up on kind of where this timeline is going. Yep. So walking in the door to the concept to having the production run ready to sell, we're looking at a, at least a year. I'm, That's if everything goes according to, you know, these three fittings and we yep. don't need it snow, et cetera. Yeah. But. I'm glad you said that. Cause I think kind of stepping back and looking at, okay, I'm, I'm starting today and it's not going to be done in three months. I'm not going to have product ready to sell in three months. Cause I think that's something that a lot of people, um, they, they just think that it could happen that quickly. And the reality of it is that it just doesn't. You have so many moving pieces and parts and so many different vendors and, and hands right. kind of in, in the uh, chefs in the kitchen per, per se, um, that it's just really tough to, to pump anything out that fast and do it really, really well. Exactly. And we like to say it takes a village, right? Yeah. So you have your <laughs> zipper supplier, your fabric vendor, you have your designer, you have your pattern maker, you have your cut and sew, you know, production facility, and everyone has to kind of coordinate to be on the same timeline to get everything done. Yeah. So it's you as a, as a brand that's first starting out, um, it's, if you can kind of be open with the timeline a little bit and just know that you're planning for a year. And really what we find helps Heidi is if our clients can get on seasonal calendars so that they know when to do things because your seasons are going to overlap in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. If you're working on fall and spring, you're probably going to be designing fall and sourcing those materials while you're finishing up maybe production for your spring line. Right. So it's, if you can get on this calendar and kind of plan out this year timeline, it's really becomes not that big of a deal and not yeah. that scary. You know, you have these steps that you take each season and this is how it works and your supply chain set up and you have some efficiencies with your patterns and it gives you kind of room to breathe. Yeah. Now, are you finding most people, um, and maybe it just absolutely varies, but are you finding most designers are doing seasonal collections or they're doing more item driven and are they selling, um, direct to consumer via e-commerce and pop-up shops or, or other avenues or doing wholesale or does it just really, are you seeing kind of a mix of everything? It is really a mix of everything, but I'm glad that you brought that up because when you, we were talking about kind of this proof of concept a few minutes ago in the beginning of the call, mm -hmm. if you are wanting to go wholesale only with your collection, you can, you know, really let 
the buyers and who's placing the orders kind of drive what you produce, mm-hmm. if that makes sense too. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of wanted to mention that and circle back. So if you were showing 10 pieces, but you only have orders for three of them, we wouldn't recommend you produce all 10, just produce the three that have been purchased. Yeah. Does and so it, it makes sense to me, but for listeners out there who are maybe a little bit more new to the industry or what that concept look like, looks like, explain a little bit more about how you might do the sample line and then decide what to run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let me answer your question first about how, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> how we're selling, how the clients we see are selling. Yeah. So we have seen a huge kind of shift in terms of everyone wanting to be e-commerce. Um, we originally, when we had our opened our doors three years ago, we got a, a, a mix of clients. So we're like, I, I really want to be in these specific boutiques and sell online as well. But as of late, we've seen a big shift in terms of our clients really want to build successful e-commerce businesses, which is great um, in terms of they can set their own profit margins. They have a little bit more control of their, you know, release dates. So they don't necessarily have to do season, seasonal spring and fall lines. They could release an item every month or every week, even if they wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of launching your own e-commerce business. Um, so we see we see it all over the board. We also see clients that want to sell online, but also have a presence in boutiques because they have, you know, a type of product where they really feel if someone can touch and feel it or try it on, that would help with the sales process. Yeah. So it's it's kind of, um, you know, dependent on the brand and dependent on the product and the client. But we have seen a big shift in in terms of e-commerce, which is exciting, but it opens up its own challenges for those designers as well into digital marketing and driving sales to their website and then converting those um, people that land on their site into actual customers too. So it comes with its own challenges. It's not everything's easier, but there are some benefits to it that we are, you know, have seen why people would want to shift that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So that, and that's not surprising to me at all. I mean, I think just with, with some of the tools and the technology and the resources we have at our fingertips and how easy it is to access, um, you know, putting up an e-commerce store three, four, five years ago is a whole different ball game than it is today. Um, so, so that's great. To answer your question about the wholesale and that process, what we do with those clients is we generally work with them until we have what we call a salesman sample complete. And our salesman sample, it's not going to be your first proto. It's not going to be your third fit sample. <laughs> it would be um, done at the factory level so that you can be showing your buyers what you want to produce. So it's before you would even, you know, buy into any inventory or, you know, produce a small production run of any sort. If you want to, you know, show buyers salesman samples, you can do that with just a quality sample from the factory level. Mm-hmm. But Going wholesale has its own challenges, of course. We, we find that, um, you know, any way of selling your line or launching a business, the sales and marketing can be kind of the most challenging piece for our clients because they come to us as this, cre- you know, with these creative ideas, um, but they're not necessarily the best salespeople. Well, yeah. some of them are. Sure, sure. <laughs> It can be a challenging part of the process for sure. And I think some of it's just like, it's a personality thing and, and sales is hard. I mean, unless it's in your blood, it's hard and you have to learn (laughs) and you have to get a really thick skin. So is that something that you support brands with? We have a network of referral partners in terms of, you know, really great people that can help you with your wholesale path. If that's how you want to sell your line Mm -hmm. or 
digital marketing for e-commerce sites specifically. So we don't have that in-house as a service because if we did sales and marketing, that's kind of all we would do. So our core is focusing on the product development and going through the pattern making and the sample making, setting up that supply chain, overseeing the production. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, we have this really great network of referral partners that we work closely with partner our clients with the assistance that they might need. That's great. Cause I do think, I mean, from what I heard you say, it sounds like that's where, um, a lot of people, if not most people tend to get tripped up is okay. Now I have this product and I am trying to get it out there and it, it's hard. It is hard. And yeah. any, you know, starting with this like pre-costing exercise that we talked about way in the beginning of the call is a really good place to start because it, then at least you're thinking about like, what's my price point? Who's my target audience? Mm-hmm. How am I going to, you know, get in front of them? What are my sales channels? Can I go afford wholesale pricing? Do I need to do direct customer pricing only? Right. So just kind of starting the business from the beginning thinking that way can help now when you have your product in hand and you're ready to sell. Right. You can have that plan already. <laughs> Instead of just from the beginning thinking about this beautiful design that you're going to create, let's really look at the numbers too and look at like the long-term logistics of, of making this happen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are in a very cash heavy industry. You have to purchase fabric. You have to pay your manufacturer. You have to pay for the patterns and the grading and everything before you even have anything to make sales. Yeah. You know, so it's planning that um, from the get go can help because we are also Heidi in a very competitive industry. So the more you can, um, you know, get in front of some of these things and plan for the growth and the longevity of your brand, the better competitive edge you'll probably have as well. Yep. Yeah. That's really smart. Um, so Abby, tell me, um, what do we do next in, in terms of, of the production process? So we've maybe, let's say we've gone through our three fit samples and we're like, okay, it looks good. We're ready to get our, our graded pattern done. What are we thinking about sizing? How do we figure out what sizes to offer? And then, and then what do we do next? Yep. So in terms of sizing, that's going to be something where we are going to ask our clients to reflect back again on their target customer. Mm -hmm. So do they need to offer, you know, down to double extra small or up to double XL? Or are we looking at, you know, petites or plus or tall? Like what are we looking at in terms of their target market? And then who's doing well that's an existing brand in that space right now? So for just as an example, um, for our children's wear clients, the gap baby size chart seems to be fairly spot on Mm. in terms of how they break out the sizes, the grade rules between each. So we can look to some larger, more established brands that have put, you know, the, (laughs) the resources and the funds behind developing that size chart just as a starting off point for these brands as well. Um, so how we, we would generally ask our clients to look to their target market for what sizes they want to offer. And then let's look to some existing brands that are doing well in that space and see what their size chart looks like. Yep. And does that make sense for you? Yeah. And we tweak it slightly or we can grade according to that, you know, those grade rules that are already established. Um, but we do some checks and balances in there. So once we have a graded pattern and we're ready to work at the factory level, we'll have the factory sew one quality or counter sample. So using our pattern in the base size, in the materials, just to see what their, you know, construction looks like. It also helps confirm the price per piece that they've possibly estimated beforehand and really kind of get a feel for working with that factory. 
So once we have the quality sample in hand, generally it's not perfect because we've done three samples already. So we've kind of gone through the learning curve for our client's product, but this is the factory's first time sewing this product. So there's a little bit of a a learning curve there. Sure. So we'll get the quality sample back and it most likely is going to need some tweaks. If it's perfect, that's great. But, you know, let's change the construction here or the factory might even have suggestions of like, if you did this, it would be more efficient. Do you really need a, you know, this stitch here? Can we do this one instead? Sure. So kind of being open to the factory's expertise um, can be very helpful for new designers as well. But once we have that quality sample done and there's going to be these revisions, we'll submit that back to the factory, say, you know, we want these three changes made and then we'll have them sew a size run. So one of each size based on your graded pattern. So this is where you can really see, you know, your grading for the first time. You can try it on people that might wear the XXL or the X extra, extra small, you know, those sizes that fall outside of your sample size and really make sure that your grading is looking good before you pull the trigger on that mass production, even if that's only 50 pieces. Right. Because that's still, that's, that's a huge investment of time and cash and that's going to be your production. So you have to do those samples to make sure it's done right. Um, a couple things that you said that I really love is, is, um, one is, yeah, just doing those samples. And I think it can be hard to commit to that because it's like, oh, extra money, extra money, each set of samples, each, um, prototype costs money, but you'd rather spend a little extra money there to make sure that the production's right than Mm -hmm. to skimp on a couple samples and then have your production be wrong. Um, that's, I've, I've seen designers get a whole production run in and skip some of the sampling and things went wrong and they had a whole production run that they couldn't do anything with, um, which is a very scary space to be. So it's a great reminder to everybody that just take it slow and get those samples. Um, and then the other thing that you touched on, and I, I, I don't know if you have much to expand on it, but it's something that I've done over the years that I found tremendously valuable. And I always advise people to do this, but that's talk to your factory, ask your factory what their suggestion is. They're experts in this. And if you have a question about, you know what, could we do this better, different, more efficiently, um, talk to them. They've done this so many times and they often have great insights in terms of, um, just alternative ideas or ways to switch things up, like you said, to be more efficient. And so I'm constantly, even after many, many years uh, manufacturing overseas, I'm, I'm still constantly asking my factory, well, what do you think about this one part here? Like I'm a little bit stuck, you know, what can we do? Yeah, absolutely. Rely on them for their expertise. It also helps Heidi just in the grand scheme of like relationship building. Mm-hmm. Because just starting out in this industry, you know, you really are building this supply chain that we've talked about a couple of times, but you want these people to want to work with you, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) asking them for their recommendations, kind of, you know, relying on their expertise, trusting that you'll build this long-term relationship with them can just kind of help overall, um, you know, through the process and make it a little bit more pleasant in terms of just building that factory relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, okay. So we have our size run and let's say, assuming everything looks good, if we need to make tweaks, let's say the extra, extra small, like just got a little bit wonky. We need to make some adjustments or or what have you. We make those adjustments, but once the size runs done, what's next? Do we go straight into producing those 50 pieces? Are we ready? And we just pull the trigger. You are ready. You're pulling the trigger. So we're taking the yield from the size run marker and using that yield to calculate how 
how much of each material you need to order. Mm -hmm. So that's something that can get a little bit tricky in terms of placing your production material orders and just making sure that you have enough of everything. We always err on the side of it's better to have too much than not enough. Sure. So we add um, generally, I would say anywhere from 10 to 20% on top of how much you think you need. So if you're making 100 t-shirts and your yield for each t-shirt is one yard, then you need 100 yards. But we would normally recommend you order maybe 115 just to make sure that you have a little bit extra um, in case you never know what's going to happen in production. (laughs) But it's better to have a little bit more than a little less. So you're calculating your material orders and going ahead and submitting those purchase orders for your production materials with the vendors that you've established, you know, before we even started prototyping. Mm -hmm. And then you're just pulling the trigger, submitting the purchase order to the factory, um, along with, I guess, before you pull the trigger, your production tech packs. So really finalizing, making sure that all of the nitty gritty details are in your tech packs, that everything is very clearly outlined for the factory. Um, the tech pack is such an, a, a crucial piece. It, it acts almost as like a visual contract for what it is you're asking the factory to create and at what price and with what materials and what colors, et cetera. Um, so tech pack, production material orders, and your graded patterns, and you should be good to go. So, okay, a couple things I want to um, talk about a little bit further is, um, so this is the first time you brought up tech packs, which I am a big spreadsheet nerd, and <laughs> <laughs> I am um, uh, a big advocate for tech packs, and I... Um, I've heard a lot of stories of people who, um, don't do tech packs because their garment's really simple. They don't do a tech pack because they're manufacturing locally. Um, they don't do tech packs because they've been working with this factory forever and things seem to be going okay. But I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the importance of that. And, and one thing you did say, which I love is that it kind of acts as like a, um, I think you said it this way, a uh, a visual contract for Mm -hmm. what the product should be and what you're expecting it to be and and all the materials and the costing and all of that stuff. Um, But it's one of those steps that's not very glamorous to put together a tech pack. And I think um, it's something that that people skip and then can, can be turned into a really, a really bad, bad, uh, put you in a really bad position. Yeah. It's definitely something that we would not go into production without Mm -hmm. um, regardless of, the factory relationship or location. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so important to make sure that all of the details of your garment are outlined somewhere and that, you know, everyone is kind of agreed that this is what's going to be made. Mm-hmm. So when we are working on tech packs for clients and includes obviously that technical sketch that we've been working on since they walked in the door. Um, but then so many more details, we're doing construction call outs of the, you know, different seams to use, where the different types of stitching we're looking for, um, also points of measurement and specs of the sample size. This is something so that you can pull, you know, one of your factory samples, spec it, and make sure that your your fit is still there. Yeah. That the quality is still going to be the same as what you've intended. Yeah. Um, it also includes a bill of materials that outlines all of the materials that go into each style and which colors are cut together, especially if you're doing a, you know style that has a a sleeve in one color and a different color for the body, this will be the place where you indicate to the factory which sleeve color goes with which body color goes with which thread color. Mm -hmm. So we go down to the thread in the bill of materials. Um, 
And then it also includes label placement, you know, any kind of packaging details, where to attach the hang tag, anything and everything about this garment that we could put in the tech pack, we do. Yes. And we, when we work on tech packs for clients here at Stitch Method, we prepare them so that they could go anywhere in the world. So we may be working with a factory that's three blocks over from our office here in Chicago um, that might open the tech pack once, might glance at the bill of materials, but they don't really use it, utilize it and use it, um, which is probably why you've heard some stories of, you know, designers that say, oh, I don't, I don't need a tech pack. My factory doesn't need it. Well, they might not rely on it as much as another factory would, but it is that visual contract. So we've had a client who um, was producing a style and they had two different black fabrics. One was like a cotton spandex blend. The other one was a bamboo spandex blend. So very similar. Mm -hmm. Um, But they had two different styles. One was to be cut in the cotton. The other was to be cut in the bamboo. So in our tech packs, we had two different tech packs, one for each style. And we had a swatch of the fabric that was supposed to be cut. And the factory swapped it. So they cut the cotton in the style that was supposed to be bamboo and the bamboo in the style that was supposed to be cotton you know, could have been a big mess, but because we had this tech pack and we could pull it up and show the factory, like you made the mistake here, the factory was able to correct it on their dime yep. rather than the client have to pay out of pocket for that mistake. So it's just those little circumstances, even though that factory might be, you know, your next door neighbor, it's still good to have this visual contract yeah. um, in place. Yeah. It's always great. Um, I mean, the other thing is, you know, not just using it as a contract so that when something does go wrong, which it can happen, you can look back and you can say, okay, well, what did the tech pack say? What did the set of instructions say that was mm-hmm. delivered and use that as a reference. But when you start to balance multiple styles, it can be so hard to keep everything straight in your own head, even as a designer, when it's your own brand and your own product. And these garments are living, breathing things and they change. And, uh, it's it's impossible to keep all the track of that in email or in your head, and so it just it works as this sort of one stop document that has all the details, all the instructions, everything you need to know about this product. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you are you know cutting a style that turns into your bestseller, then you have a record mm-hmm. of each time you produce that, what fabric it was in what the inseam was or whatever it may be so that you can know all of the details about that particular bestseller and keep updating it and moving forward and have this record of what was done in the past. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Just for organizational standpoint. And when we complete a tech pack for a client, it's almost like a big check mark on that to-do list. (laughs) It's like, this is done. Okay. We've got like, you know, everything in place to move into production now. Yeah. That's great. Um, okay. So no more, no more preaching about how amazing and and wonderful and necessary tech (laughs) packs are. Um, I love to talk a little bit, um, have you share a little bit about the logistics of, um, CMT makers versus full package production. I mean, it sounds like you guys do more CMT. Um, obviously you're the service provider to help coordinate all the logistics of, um, taking something from an idea in your head all the way through to production. Um, but talking a little bit about like you, yeah, you have to source your fabric from the fabric supplier. You may be sourcing your interfacing from somewhere else, your buttons from somewhere else, your labels from somewhere else. Um, versus I don't know if you work with any factories that are a little bit more full package that can help with some of those, um, tasks, but could you talk a little bit about how, how those two different things work differently? 
Yeah, absolutely. Most of the domestic factory partners we work with are CMT or just cut and sew. Okay. So they are expecting our clients to provide everything. Um, some of the factories that we work with will provide, you know, some things like elastic or they might provide the poly bags, um, or the plastic bullets to attach the hang tags. But generally the bulk of the materials are supplied by the client. Okay. So in our experience working with domestic factories, there aren't that many full package, um, options. There are some absolutely that can do the sourcing for you and the cut and sew, Mm -hmm. but most more often than not, you're going to have to provide those materials. And if you are able to provide those, I guess it just kind of opens up more options for more factories for you to potentially speak with. Sure. Um, and then the full package options that we have worked with for our clients have all been offshore or overseas. Okay. So go ahead. Well, no, that's great. Cause my next question was going to be, um, you know, do you guys do any work overseas? And then can you talk a little bit about, the pros and cons and, and some of the challenges or benefits to working overseas versus working locally and what that whole setup looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely believe that this is a global industry and there is a skilled labor force all over the world. So there's no real right way for our clients. Some of our clients prefer to work overseas because they are doing a little bit larger minimum order. Um, and they are comfortable with the pricing. And some of our clients prefer to work domestically just because they're doing a smaller run. They can be more hands-on. So in our experience, some of the pros to working in Made in USA is quality control. You can actually physically go to the factory um, a little bit easier than you could in terms of buying a flight and traveling internationally Mm -hmm. to check in on the product. It also helps with that relationship building. If you are able to go and visit the factory and introduce yourself in person and kind of build that rapport, uh, meet the sewers. And there's that transparency that's uh, important to a lot of our clients Mm -hmm. now to be able to show where their products are made to their customers, to be able to, you know, write about the factory and the sewers and show imagery of that on their websites. Um, We've also found that there is a little bit of a quicker lead time here. Mm -hmm. So from submitting your purchase order, having all the materials there, you're generally looking at, I would say, roughly four to six weeks to have your production in hand. Um, and when you're working offshore, that timeline may be similar, but you might be paying a lot to get that air shipped rather than freight yeah. on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that there's, there's a meaning behind the slow boat from China. Something can sit on a boat for 30 to 45 days. Mm-hmm. So that adds a lot to your lead time. It certainly does. And then dealing with customs and duties <laughs> is a whole nother part of Um, this industry that you would need to either educate yourself on or hire someone to help you import as well. That's a very crazy Um, space. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So working domestically, there's that quality control. Generally, there's quicker lead times in terms of just cutting down on the shipping. Um, And then smaller minimum orders here. So we, like I mentioned earlier, are able to cut 10 pieces, 25 pieces here in Chicago, where if you were shipped putting that offshore, there might be factories overseas that will do those minimums. I'm sure they exist, but is it worth that extra cost to do all of that shipping back and forth as well? Yeah. Because in the end, would that just kind of equal out to what the price for made in USA would be? Sure. Sure. Um, but working offshore, like I said, 
skilled labor force all over the world. We are a very global industry. So there's definitely um, some advantages to offshore factories as well. And being full package is one of those. So when we work with clients who want to produce overseas, we still go through that same um, beginning process. So the concepting, we're sourcing materials, but in a different way. We're sourcing materials that um, are as close to what they want to produce as possible. And we're still prototyping in those materials, going through the fittings, getting something as close to production ready as possible. And then we'll take that third fit sample and build out a tech pack. And then that goes to the offshore factory. So the development and the pattern making the fittings, all of that stays the same. We're just kind of preparing differently in terms of the material sourcing and the next steps for moving forward. Right. And so then you send that to the overseas supplier or factory, whoever you're working with, and then they, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is how I've worked in the past, they source stuff that is comparable that they can get and they send that to you and you say, okay, I like this one, I don't like this one. And you kind of pick and choose from that and then move forward. Exactly. Yes. So they become your cut and sew factory as well as your sourcing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do custom development, but that's a whole nother animal and requires a whole nother, nother, uh, long, big number of minimums, especially for custom fabric development. (laughs) We like to say to our clients that anything is possible Yeah, because in this industry, it really is. Anything is possible. Anything you can dream up, we can help you produce. It's just dependent on your budget and how many pieces you want to order. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What a, what an awesome attitude. That's it's, there are so many possibilities. Um, I think everything you guys are doing, um, you, Abby, and, and your business partner, Jennifer, with Stitch Method is phenomenal and such a great resource for all these um, amazing creative designers out there who have such phenomenal ideas. Um, so uh, let us know where everybody can find you and, and anything else you'd like to share about what you guys are up to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So easiest way to get in touch with us is just through our website, which is stitchmethod.com. And we have a work with us tab on there where that's step one, where you can tell us all the information about your project, where you are in the process. And then we offer 30 minute complimentary discovery sessions. We, we can jump on Skype with you, kind of go through um, your product, what you're looking to make, our stitch method services, dive a little bit deeper, uh, make sure that we're the right fit for you as a development partner and kind of develop a plan from there. Um, so best, best place to find us is at stitchmethod.com. We also have a uh, hello at stitchmethod.com email address that you're welcome to just shoot us a quick message if you're interested. But I think that's that kind of covers it. Awesome. <laughs> well, I will include all of that in the show notes. And I'd like to end with the one question I ask everybody at the end. Um, and it does stump people a little bit. So if you need a, a few seconds to think about it, um, take your time. But sure. what is... Um, one thing you wish people would ask you about working in the fashion industry, but they never do. Huh? That is a tricky one. So I'll re rephrase it or kind of give you a little bit of inspiration on how to maybe think about it, which is, um, what portion of the process do you like love and you find super fascinating that you maybe love to nerd out and talk about? And if you were to go out to cocktails or coffee with some friends who maybe don't work in the industry, you know, they maybe always ask you about this, about your job. And you're like, everybody asks about this, but nobody ever asks about this other part. That's actually really my favorite. I think personally answering for myself, not necessarily for stitch method or for Jennifer, but I'm the bigger picture strategic thinker. Mm. So 
I want our clients or I want people to ask us about like the longevity of their brand. So rather than like right now, right now, this season, I need it now. It's more like, let's plan two, three, four seasons out. Like you mentioned earlier in the call, Heidi, like, how are you going to take these blocks, these base patterns and kind of do easy updates to them to Mm -hmm. transform them into new styles? What fabrics could we use next season that, you know, would give new life to this existing style? So like that kind of big strategic planning and brand building is what I would like to nerd out on. I love that. <laughs> and I would answer. want people to ask me more about. <laughs> yeah. I love that answer because it is so easy to just get really like tunnel vision on, on what's happening right now. But it's important as you're building this brand, you're building this business to step back and look at the the longer term goals and, and what, what you really want to achieve. Yeah. And then actually put some numbers to that as well. Mm-hmm. So can you sustain your business for two, maybe three seasons before yeah. you start to see an influx of sales? Yeah. You know, can you put two or three seasons out, out to the world, um, you know, and have that longevity and really build a brand. But one thing I do want to mention, Heidi, cause we kind of, you know, touched on it quickly in terms of like all of the things that you need to produce domestically, because you're going to be providing all of these materials to, the cut and sew factory. Um, we do have a production checklist that I would love to offer to your listeners. I don't know if that's something that would be um, easy for you to upload for them to download just kind of as a free bonus Absolutely. from Stitch Method. Yes. Okay. We will, we will coordinate that and I will add it um, in the outro show notes. Okay. I'll, awesome. I'll, we'll figure out a link and definitely do that. But thank you for that offer. That's very generous. And having a checklist to kind of visually just like go through, okay, this is the next step. This is the next step that can be priceless just to kind of have that on paper and something to look at and check off. It's also very gratifying to check each of those things off. Absolutely. So there's like a little box that you can put a physical check. Yes. And the tech pack (laughs) one is a really big check. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for the generous offer. And I'll definitely um, add that to the outro. So thank you so much, Abby. This has been so much fun to chat with you. And I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing all your wonderful knowledge. Um, And I'll put links to to how people can reach you in the show notes. And um, yeah, you guys, if you if you are thinking about going into production, um, definitely have a chat with Abby and Jennifer at Stitch Method. What they're doing is great. And I'm, I'm sure they have some great ways to help you guys move forward. Well, thank you, Heidi. It was so nice to chat with you. Yes. All right. Thanks, Abby. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, including the production checklist Abby shared with us, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 13. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it really helps the show and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help.